0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. When when do you see into a person's heart? When when do you do that? You know, do you do you do it in a formal setting or in a kind of an informal circumstance? Uh, When do you see their heart? Not not in a speech, but in normal, casual conversation, right? Well, interesting enough, if you would turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3, at the very end of this epistle, you find Paul telling you what's on his heart. And it's really the end of the letter, and, and he's talking to friends, and he's Establishing priorities and you get a window into his soul. A window that really is the, the heart of Christ for us as a church and what we should be about and how we can actually see what Christ values for this 20th celebration. Conclusions of New Testament letters are some of my favorite. It's the stuff that every commentator skips over. And they're filled with treasure as they're greeting, as they're exhorting, as they're encouraging, as they're directing what's happening. And they give us really what should be happening in our lives, things that we should be thinking about, things that we should be talking about, things that we should be praying about as a church and as individual Christians. So I want you to read this passage aloud from the outline and let's see how God would speak to us about not only our church, but our own Christian life, our family, and what we prioritize and what we value. So let's read it, starting in verse 12 of Titus chapter 3. Everybody together, ready? When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Let our people also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they might not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you, greet those who love us in the faith, grace be with you all. In these verses, what we have are the concerns of Paul for really... Uh, Not only the church, but the universal church and local churches in general. These are exposing the heart of an effective church and an effective believer as they kind of desire to say, here are the things we got to be about. There are treasures that are listed here that I want to draw out for you. Because as Paul concludes, his priorities, his passions, his personal concerns come right to the surface it's almost like a normal conversation. You really hear what they're about. His heart's exposed and you know how important the heart is, right? Everybody's got that. Joel chapter 2 verse 12 says, "Return to me with all your heart." First Samuel 16:7, the Lord, you know, uh, you know, doesn't see as man sees. For man sees at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Your heart is who you really are. It's where we do business with God, where we decide and where we deliberate and we desire. It's the place of your spiritual life. It's really central. Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. The Lord doesn't look at our credentials. He doesn't look at uh, our degree or your clothes or your business card or how long you've been at FBC. All right? What He looks at is what's going on in your heart before him. And what you see at the end of these letters is what he's looking for. You see the expression of the Apostle Paul being filled with the Spirit of God, expressing these priorities and values that he wants to see manifested in every believer's life and in your life, especially as we celebrate 20 years. A heart for God, God's purposes to be lived out for the church and God's people, and he describes the heart of a church that truly is doing what God wants them to do. So what will that look like? Well, there will be seven attributes. We'll cover them pretty quickly. And they're in four verses, and Paul wraps up this letter, and he's turning our focus away now from false teachers that he's been correcting, and he's talking to his friends and his fellow servants. And this is about us. This is about you. Are these things found in you? And what is that kind of heart? Well, number one would be a heart of cooperation. A heart of cooperation. The true heart for God knows you can't be effective for God merely on your own. We desperately need each other in the body of Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? I hope you've learned that. If you're part of our church family, I hope that that is something that you recognize. That I don't have it all together. I was never meant to actually put Christ fully on display, but we as a body were meant to put Christ fully on display as we all seek to do that together. And he concludes with this particular statement as he's wrapping it up here in verse 12. Take a look at it. He says, When I send Artemis... And Titicus to you. Now stop there. Paul is basically giving us his future plans for Titus. He's basically telling us what he wants Titus to do, and he starts with this statement about when I send Artemis and Titicus to you. Now, what's going on here? Basically, after the basic work of evangelism on the island of Crete, Paul sent Titus to Crete to establish the church. And he tells us what he does in chapter 1. He wants them to set an order but remain by appointing elders. You've got to have elders to have a solid local church. And then he tells them how to live such a way and mentor and train and live out your role as a man or a woman, an old man, or an old woman, a younger man, a younger woman, etc. In chapter 2, living by the grace of God and how you can be godly in order to chapter 3 be a powerful witness to the watching world. That's, it's very simple. I want it, local churches, I want Christians to live uniquely, chapter 2, so they can be influential in this world. Doesn't that sound very basic to you? But that's what he's teaching. And incredibly, this letter was sent to Titus to give him the apostolic authority that he needed to do the work and to remind the Caritans that what God desires of every Christian. He wants him to continue in that work. But what we learn in verse 12 is that Titus was not there on Crete permanently. Um, you know, it's called the pastoral epistles. It's kind of misnamed. It might want to be named the apostolic assistant epistles or, you know, the, the missionary church planter epistles because Titus didn't function as a pastor. He was there to get that church established. And, and he's actually there, if you actually do the math, for about six months. So it really wasn't, you know, if he's going to be a pastor, it wasn't there very long, right? He's sending these other men to take his place, his replacements. So he's going to send Artemis and Titicus to finish the job. Now, we don't know anything about Artemis except what we learned from this reference, all right? So he's a little bit of a mystery to us. Um, he must have been a very mature Christian if he could have replaced Titus plus he must have been a proven church planter and apostolic representative since he was considered along with Tychicus. Now Tychicus, we know something about. He's one of Paul's key players on his missionary team. This is a cool dude. He understood the church planting. He on several occasions he traveled to churches for uh, basically ex- the express purpose of communicating to them how Paul was doing personally and the interrelationship between the churches and what God is doing, and to report the latest missionary activities. Take a look at the verse that's there in your outline in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. It says that you may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing, Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you, and I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Now we don't know which one of these guys is going to take Titus's place. It's Artemis or Tychicus. either one. They're going to continue organizing, appointing, uh, confronting error, teaching in Crete, until the churches are ready. Are you ready for this? to stand on their own under their own elderships. He wants them to get them established so they can be a microcosm and a light and a salt to that community that they're in all around that island. Remember, they didn't have cars back then. People didn't travel from city to city very often except for business, and therefore you were pretty much locked in, and that church and that community would reach that community. And that was going on there. And we don't know what Paul had in mind for Titus, but we do know at this time Paul's older and he, we don't know exactly, uh, you know, how long he has. His time is short. He wanted to pass on his ministry to his most qualified men, Timothy and Titus, right? Trained, faithful men who will be able to train others also. Both Timothy and Titus show us that God's leadership strategy, friends, while Paul is carrying out the Great Commission and planting churches, you know what he's also doing? He's training men. He's training men who will be able to plant other churches. And continue this work. Isn't our Lord Jesus Christ, did He show you that the ministry is all about preaching? Did He? Yes or no? Oh, come on. Are you with me this morning? (laughs) Did Jesus show you that the ministry was all about preaching? Yes or no? The answer is no. It wasn't. What did Jesus spend so many years doing? Training men. He equipped 12 men who turned the world upside down, correct? Part of that was preaching. That's definitely a part of it. But the investment of saying, I want to make sure the church continues to be healthy. You're going to hear that as a part of who we are. We are a church that is not just concerned about the church today. We're concerned about the church in coming generations. We don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. We hope it's today. I do. I want to go flying up. And waving at all my all-male friends. Okay, so, all right. But understand, Jesus showed us that we need to be concerned about what's going to happen in the future. When we're gone and the next generation takes over. And Paul not only had a preaching ministry, he had an in-depth training discipleship ministry with men. And I'm, I'm very much influential into women as well, and particularly Timothy and Titus. And Paul knew the future of the church depended on investing his word in life into key men. And not only does investing include our children, but all of us. You realize that men have left our church, correct? And they have left our church to continue on in the ministry. You know that those men would tell you today that they were massively impacted by you by your encouragement, by your putting up with their failures, by correcting them, by shaping them, by responding to their teaching, by clarifying, that that training, you understand, is not a one-man-to-one-man thing. It's the body of Christ. Jesus trained his men. Can anybody train like Jesus, yes or no? No. So in order to train men, it's now the whole body of Christ that trains men and women to become what God intended them to be. And that's why we talk about being networked in the body, so you can be influenced by the multiplicity of saints, and why we need to listen to one another and hear one another. Even if it's someone who's immature, who's saying something to you, they're like, you know what, that would help me become like Christ. I need to take note of what they're saying and listen to one another. Titus had laid the groundwork, but Artemis and Tychicus would continue that until the Cretan elders were ready to carry on. And an effective heart really cooperates with God's plan for praying, discipling, encouraging, fellowshipping future leaders. Who are those? Is it anybody who has an interest? No, it was proven men. You'll see it committed men and men who have a heart for Christ and his church. They love people. They love the word. And and they're useful for God's purposes. Our future depends on you. FBC, having a heart to invest in the next generation in multiple ways, not merely your own kids. Number two in your outline, a heart of urgency, a heart of urgency, an effective heart knows we can't be passive. Uh, When it comes to our impact for Christ, an effective heart, an urgent heart knows well that we only have a few years to make our impact for Christ, correct? Correct. Really, this life compared to eternity is a blip on the radar, and an effective heart doesn't allow itself to remain comfortable, uh, convenient, complacent. And that's why Paul, look at verse 12, what he said, look at the phrase, make every effort. You should circle that. Make every effort means to make haste, get diligent, fire up. Paul's telling Titus, be eager to get going. Make every effort to continue on in the work. Be diligent in your efforts. When you have a true heart of urgency, the older you get, the closer you are to heaven, the hotter your urgency. It's true. Like aged Paul who told Timothy, make haste twice. In 2 Timothy 4.9 and 2 Timothy 4.21, he goes, make every effort. Let's get on this. And now, in Titus... Paul had not determined which of the two men he's going to send to Crete. But when he did, Titus was to hurry. Get on it, Titus. Get over here. There's always more work to do in proclaiming, in teaching, in establishing the church, in mentoring. There's always a shortage of time. I have found something creepy in my life. And that is, I'm getting picky. Anybody older saint getting a little more picky? Like when we decide as elders, you know, what book we're going to study through, I'm getting real picky. Because I, 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 I know I'm not going to finish the New Testament. I'm not going to be John MacArthur and teach through the whole New Testament. I have failed miserably. Okay, so understand, when we pick a book of the Bible, I'm like, man, I want to make sure that's going to be exactly what you need and what my heart needs. I'm, I'm getting picky when I go and speak somewhere now. I don't just go to anywhere now. I want to make sure that it really counts. I'm getting a little, little, a little desperate. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. There's an urgency in my life. So please put up with me. But understand, I'm like, we got to make this count. Do you feel that? you feel that weight at all? We want to make sure this really, really does matter for the Lord. Because this is it. This is our opportunity. And an effective heart doesn't wait for opportunities. It initiates building up Christians, sharing the lost, becoming a true heart, realizes we only have a small slice of time. I will want to constantly exhort you to never forget why you're here. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week, and I want to give you a sneak preview so you wouldn't get the questions wrong, all right? So, why did the Lord leave you here? What's the answer? Why did He leave you here? To glorify God. Thank you. There was three of you. Okay, good. Got it. Now, can you do that better on earth or in heaven? Answer. Okay, I heard both. That's good. Listen, you're going to better glorify God in heaven when you're perfect, would you agree with that? You're not going to ever be hampered by anything anymore in heaven. So you're going to go. So then, if your purpose is to glorify God, then why in the world has He left you here? If you can do it better in heaven, why not just just save you and whoop, there you go? Well, is it to have peace or joy or fellowship or sing or praise? No, we'll do that better in heaven too. So why did he leave you here? Well, the answer is he left you here to do what you can't do in heaven, and that is to proclaim the gospel. He left us here. You can't do that in heaven. A true heart of God is passionate, write this phrase down, to be used of God to make as many people like Jesus Christ in the shortest time possible. To be used of God to make as many people like Jesus Christ in the shortest time possible. That's our mission make every effort Titus let's get on it because we want to be used of God to make as many people like Jesus Christ in the shortest time possible. You say, why 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 do, I do that? Because that's exactly what the spirit of God wants to do. He tells us in Romans 8 that's what he's trying to do is make you like Christ. He tells us in Galatians 4:19, I'm I'm going to agonize until Christ is formed in you. That's an urgent heart. Number 3, a willingness, a heart of willingness. Stay with me. An effective church is willing. A tender heart moves from a bunch of talk to actual walk. Uh, They stop being restrictive and resistant and rigid to being open and willing and flexible. And as Paul wraps up verse 12, he wraps up with this urgent request of Titus. Look what he says, verse 12, to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Now, there are about nine New Testament cities called Nicopolis. This is probably the most popular one. This is on the west coast of Greece. This is probably the place where Paul was finally arrested um, and then, you know, leading towards his imprisonment and then his death, his second arrest. And this city is a key place to reach the world for the gospel. Paul might have been there waiting to get to Spain, uh, waiting for the winter to pass, so not to sail when it's all the storms and the shipwrecks, etc. But notice the willing heart here. Titus demonstrates an agreeable heart to go where needed to do what's most useful, whether it's further training, uh, beginning a new church, delivering a letter. It didn't need clarification. Titus... He didn't need to press him. He didn't need to order him. He didn't need to motivate him. He had a willing heart to serve, to sacrifice, to do whatever was necessary. Is that your heart too? Anything. Be careful. i got to watch this in my own heart as well. Be careful. Well, I'm a Bible teacher. uh, I'm a counselor. I I don't need to set up chairs anymore. Like, wait a minute. You know, we're getting on property. We won't ever have to set up chairs again. (laughs) If you think that, you're in a full of supplies. Okay, so... Understand, are you one like Isaiah 6-8 that says, here I am, send me? Are you willing? Are you willing? An effective church is cooperative, urgent, willing. Number four, a heart of dedication. A heart of dedication to build the local church. An effective heart for Christ is dedicated to the establishing Of local churches the plan of christ for the last two thousand years has been the local church what is that a community of christians under a team of elders who function according to the word of god a community of christians under a team of elders who function according to the word of god in any process outside the local church is always second best because this is the plan that jesus christ put into place and it's the only plan established by him for our time this is it We've got to make this work. You say, well, the local church is falling apart. Uh, there's very, very few of them that ever teach the Bible anymore. And this, that. Hey, this is still the best plan there is. It's the very best plan. And Paul understands that the way you impact the world for Jesus Christ is through the church. And that's why he says here in verse 13, take a look, diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Now, this is, Zenos and Apollos were most likely the ones who delivered the letter to Titus and the Cretans, so this letter from Paul. We don't know Zenos except for the fact of what it says here, that he's a lawyer, (laughs) okay? Which meant he's an expert in Jewish law, possibly an ex-rabbi or a scribe, or he's an expert in Roman law, telling us that he was a Christian lawyer, which would make him the only one mentioned in the New Testament, telling us that they're just as rare back then as they are today, okay? A Christian lawyer. Man, we all know Apollos, though. Apollos was a Jew and a native of Alexandria. That's where that famous library and university were established. Founded by Alexander the Great in 332, that's where it was located. Apollos was a gifted, gifted communicator. And he was massively impacted by the ministry of John the Baptist. He came to Ephesus and was boldly teaching uh, what John taught about repentance, but not the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. And the reason is he hadn't heard what Christ had done. And he hadn't heard that John was pointing to Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila taught him the way of God more accurately, and once he responded to the good news himself, he immediately became an apostolic representative of Paul and of the New Testament, traveling to various areas and proclaiming the gospel and establishing churches. He was an effective minister. Even though the Corinthians had divided up between Paul and Apollos, Paul had no issues with Apollos, no jealousies, no issues. This popular and gifted preacher There was no conflict in the content of his teaching. And now, as he closes his letter, Paul tells us in Titus, verse 14, he tells them, help Zenos and Apollos. Look at verse 14, by making sure that all their needs are met in a special way. Now look, diligently help, verse 13, Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Now how is Titus to meet their needs? Eagerly. Verse 13, the word diligent means eager. You're eager to do this. Physically, verse 13, the phrase nothing is lacking is talking about financial help and it's talking about physical needs, that they got food, they can continue on. Then it's sacrificially, verse 13, when the word help, and he says help them and help Zenus the lawyer, that points to sacrificial cost no matter what. And relationally, verse 13, when he says The phrase, on their way. See that phrase there? That actually has the idea, it's more than a church like sending a check to a missionary, you know, once a month. It actually is talking about personally going with them as far as you can. There's a personal element to on your way. It's a going with them as far as you can. It's bearing their load. It's helping them pack. It's enjoying their company for as long as you can while you're expressing your love. Do you realize that in the early church, when pastors or missionaries would leave an area to go to another area, much of the church would actually travel with them as far as they could. Just to love on them and encourage them and keep them going, you know, to, to not lose heart and to give them gifts and give them food and, you know, Mama Yenta's musaka mous, or whatever, whatever it was, you know, they're, they're going to help them get on their way and encourage them in any way they can. And that's really what the imagery here, he's talking about. He says, I want you to love on them. And that's the heart of an effective church. You know, this is why I love FBC because that's what you are. You encourage people. You, you support them. You, you write them. You visit them. You love on them as they are serving the Lord. And you know this, and I would just want to reiterate it for the next 20 years. God is not pleased when you have sound doctrine. When you have God's authorial intent teaching, but you don't love people. He is not pleased with that. He wants sound doctrine. He wants you following the word as written. But we're commanded and exhorted and we we can't honor the triune God unless we what? Love each other. Keep loving one another. Keep excelling in that process. Why would Titus And the Cretan Christians do this. Well, to help the gospel build up churches, encourage these men, because it's so discouraging in ministry so many times, on their missionary tour, Paul was concerned their financial and physical needs would be met in an eager, sacrificial, and personal way. That's what he wants. And the effect of heart is one that committing to the work of the establishing churches by encouraging and supporting and loving and sacrificing for those who do the work. We have other churches in our town that are committed to sound doctrine, they're committed to the Word of God, and we try to meet with them at least once or twice or three times a year. Sometimes we buy them lunch, and we try to encourage them. They often encourage us, and we're encouraging each other. This is what we're supposed to do. This is what God has called us to do. What else makes an effective heart? Number five in your outline, a heart of sacrifice. To give to your own local church, a heart of sacrifice. Just like our Lord is, uh, you know, really... An effective church and an effective Christian initiates sacrificial actions. Uh, They give, they serve, they initiate good deeds to meet spiritual needs. They desire to be fruitful in ministry and earn eternal reward. And that's why Paul said in verse 14, take a look at it, and let our people also, look at it, engage in what? Good deeds. Come on, stay with me. Verse 14, to meet what kind of needs? Pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful you remember somebody who helped you to meet a pressing need? Maybe it was, you know, your spouse who said, I I just want to take you out to dinner and encourage you. You know, that can happen. Or a friend who brought over a meal or gave you a book or something or provided a ride or someone who, you know, secretly gave you some cash or provided a a cabin or a, a place at the lake or by the beach or something to escape to. These kind of sacrifices not only bring refreshment to the Lord, but they also bring refreshment to the giver. And that's what Paul's talking about here to Titus. Don't fail to encourage our folks on Crete to cooperate wholeheartedly in generous giving. They should literally, verse 14, keep on learning how to give sacrificially and become experienced in well-doing. Become experienced in well-doing. This kind of giving can only be learned by doing. So Paul says, don't hesitate to motivate them to give so that they can learn about the rewards of sacrifice. And Paul was super concerned that these new believers on Crete have the opportunity to express their gratitude for God and for their salvation by helping missionaries proclaim the gospel and start new churches. You see, in in chapter 1, verse 11 of Titus, we're told that some of the Cretan Christians had already been led astray by financially supporting false teachers. So Paul's now zealous to alert them to this opportunity to now minister to two men who were true servants of God and worthy of their financial support. Now he's talking, not talking about regular giving here. First Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16:1 talks about regular giving which is collecting of the you know the collection for the saints on the first day of every week each one put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come that's regular giving but here in Titus 3:14 he's not talking to regular faithful cheerful sacrificial giving of Christians to the local church this is special giving to imperative needs that come up in the church for the church when Sometimes the church suffers in other places in the world. It's doing that which we believe the Spirit of God would want us to do. In verse 14, the phrase, learn to engage. See that there, learn to engage? He's literally calling us to lead the way, to get zealous, to be consumed with meeting needs. He wants the Cretans to not only give regularly to meet all the needs of Apollos and Zenos, but to learn to give the needs that come up all around them. And again, Thank you for being a church that does that uh, in your community groups and people who are struggling or hurting or going through surgeries or difficulties that you come alongside. It's just not even, not, not even, you're just ready to do it. That's what God wants. That's the part of the imagery and the heart that's being talked about here. Verse 14 states, the purpose of this giving is for Christians to be fruitful. To be unfruitful is only descriptive of non-Christians. So Christians are going to be fruitful. In fact, Matthew 7, 20 says, you will know them by their fruits. All right, fruits. What's a fruit? Fruits any action, any attitude of Jesus Christ through you by the power of the Spirit. You've learned this, right? That Christianity is, in a simplistic way, Christ through you. Can I hear an amen to that? It's not me. It's the Spirit of God through me. It's not you, it's the Spirit of God through you, and so your ministry, you're manifesting fruit when God is through you. You know, in Matthew thirteen, some seed fell on good soil, yielded a crop a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, but there was fruit, and fruit brings great glory to God, and that's John fifteen eight. By this my father is glorified, that you bear much what? Fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Are you a fruit producer? Are you having a heart of sacrifice? This is part of who we are. This is part of what makes a church actually function the way that God has called us to do. Number six in your outline. A heart of personal fellowship. Personal fellowship. Uh, A fruitful heart is one that has intimate relationship with others in Christ. Uh, A solid church member is, is not isolated, but independent independent understand you're not isolated you're integrated and a genuine believer has a desire to maintain loving fellowship with and loyalty to others who have the same heart and Paul says it this way look at verse 15 come on look at it put your head down look at your there it is all who are with me greet you and greet those who love us in the faith one heart one mind say that with me one heart, one mind. This kind of love can only be shared by those who are in Christ because it's God's love through us. That's what makes a true believer unique, in that each other, we care about one another, even when we, you know, we might struggle with different elements of each other, but we love each other. And in verse 15, Paul says, Everybody says hi and say hi to everybody, all the fellow workers who are with Paul, send greetings to Titus. And Titus is asked to give greetings of Paul to his companions, those on Crete. And the phrase, greet those who love us in the faith, is not saying, say hi to those who love us as Christians. Since there's no article there, uh, the the before the faith, Paul is actually saying, say hi to those faithful ones who love us. Say hi to those faithful ones who love us. Um. Just, I guess, a personal illustration here. Um, I, I can't do it. I've tried week after week after week. I can't do it. The 15-minute transition between the services is killing me. I'm not going to live much longer because I try to see as many people as I can, and I actually just try to see the people that I know and love. And there's so many here, I can't get to them. Are you, anybody struggle with this? Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, it's, like, it's like one of the things that kills me. And between the services, can I be graphic and personal? I have to use the restroom. Yeah, I got to have a snack to have enough energy to get through the day. And then, yeah, but my heart says, I want to be with you. And, and there's never enough time. I'm so grateful for this day because there'll be more time. But that's, that's the joy of this family and what has made this church so special uh give a special greeting he says to those who stood faithful i'm at that point now i meet people around the the world and in the u.s that are faithful and gene and i start to cry because so many have been so unfaithful and the ones who are faithful it's like thank you thank you thank you for just walking with jesus and being faithful to the end you follow with me that's what he's talking about here. Give those greetings to people who are treasured people. They're faithful people. They love the Lord. They're consistent. They just continue to serve Him year in, year out, and stand for Him. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, let that be what the glue that holds you together. Uh, you're moving in the same direction. You're one heart, one mind as Paul and not those false teachers in this context here. The, the effective heart is in community with other Christians. You, it's it's losing independence and becoming dependent. We we need each other. We rely on each other. It's losing privatization and giving into participation. It's losing isolation and growing intimacy. It's joining a CG or ministering together or becoming a member. That is the effect of heart linked to other Christians by Christ. And then finally. A true heart is a cooperative, urgent, willing, dedicated, sacrificial, intimate, but it's also, number seven, a heart of grace. A heart of grace. A genuine reborn heart is one that's driven. Not by success, not by achievement, not by 20 years, not by fame, not by wealth, but a reborn heart is driven to live, focus on, revel in, be reminded of, and thankful for God's what? Grace. Come on, say it like you mean it. God's what? Grace. He concludes this letter with grace be with you all. Oh, Chris, that's just a greeting. Listen, if you read Titus, you would would not say that because Titus continues to force the reader back to own God's grace, that salvation is by grace and only by God's grace. And he hammers that. So he's not just saying, oh yeah, that's the way to conclude a letter. Understand, this cannot be a mere goodbye expression because the entire letter is focused on God's grace. And so it is grace that sets Christianity apart from every other faith. You know that, right? Every other religion on the planet is trying to earn God's favor, trying to, I'm going to do it, I'm going to somehow be good enough, and God's going to accept me. And Christianity says you'll never make it. I don't care how godly you are appearance-wise, how good you seem to be, you will stand condemned before a holy God, and it's only God's grace that gets you there. Amen? It's God's grace. And so every religion in the world is totally off-center, except for Christianity. And Paul wants Titus and the Cretans to experience God's grace when even reading this letter. He wants them to remember God's favor, God's grace in Christ. For you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Does anybody in this room deserve God's grace? No! Not a lick of it. I should be in eternal torment in hell right now. And the way I lived as a non-Christian I should have been kicked to the curb and driven by. It's, I, I, I don't deserve any of this. And yet I am now eternally secure in heaven forever and bound to my brothers and sisters in Christ because of God's grace. Amen? That's what he gave us. And this is God's grace. When someone owes you something, there can be no real peace between you. There's always that, you, you know, you're, you're owing me. But when you're owed a debt, you can't pay and then somebody pays it for you because they love you, that's joy and peace. That's joy and peace. And that's what God's grace did for you. God's grace be with you all is more than social protocol. It's a constant reminder of our position in Christ. To all who are under grace, born again, our brothers and sisters, we are family because of God's grace. It is God's grace that gives us our position with God and with each other. It is grace be with you all. It's plural. It's all of us who are in Christ. Fellow laborers from the last verse and all the Cretan Christians. All of them. It's plural. So Paul says may our experience of free, unmerited favor and grace with God in Christ move us to live lives like this, to have that kind of church and to maintain that kind of relationship and those kind of priorities. Did you hear Paul's priorities? The gospel, building up Christians. Did you, did you feel the sense of the community that he was talking about? We're in this together. Did you sense that he's actually saying, hey, we're all a part of these men and, and our involvement and engage with them as they're establishing other churches, that we're all a part of that, of that being accomplished. So let's take this home. Are you ready? What must we learn from this goodbye conclusion? Number one for the church, train. Train. The leadership and all of us together need to build in the lives of the next generation. Lay leaders, elders, missionaries who will continue the work of the church beyond us. A lay run church, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. How do we train them? The same way Jesus did. The same way Paul did. You train them by putting them to work in ministry. So they have to live by faith and depend on God. And you watch how they grow. And the only kind of discipleship found in the Bible is the kind where Christians participate in evangelism and in equipping. Uh, Today there are many who think that observing and listening or plugging their umbilical cord into one person once a week is true discipleship or taking a class or getting a, a Bible degree. It's not. New Testament discipleship is learned by doing it's, it's coaching. It's a Christian while he or she is in the game and it's working with someone while they serve. It's not meeting with somebody at Denny's where everything tastes like scrambled eggs. Okay, don't do that. Once a week talking through a book, if they aren't willing to produce fruit and to seek to share with the lost and build into other believers, then they're not ready for discipleship. They're not a follower of Christ. Are you getting this? Jesus didn't say, come and meet me once a week. He said, come and and follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. He is totally different. Number two, for the saint in the church, give faithfully. Give faithfully. Uh, God teaches each of us to give regularly in our local church and on occasion what we have here in Titus is that sacrificial time to start churches or to proclaim the gospel or uh, that, that we would encourage a, a, another believer or come alongside someone. Uh, this, this New Testament, this church is a unique community. Like Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. They're, they're not only investing into Paul or Paul, but they're investing into everybody he reaches. Um, little known secret: every time you disciple, and every time you train, and every time you encourage one of these men who are going to be used of God in unique ways, and any time you do that, you actually participate in all the people that they will reach for God's glory. Does that does that motivate you at all? Uh, it's a little secret of Chris Mueller. I really like training men. Uh, God made me to train men but i like it also because in eternity i get to share in all that they did it's true that's what he's telling it's it's to your account and the Philippians were not only investing into Paul, but they were investing into all the people that he was going to reach. And this is the fruit that will be credited to their account in the eternal bank of heaven. For every saint in the church, learn to give sacrificially, serve selflessly, joyously in the church, knowing your reward will be great. Number three, for every Christian, seek to have God's heart. You want the heart of Christ? A heart that wants to cooperate, is urgent in proclaiming the gospel, is willing to serve and sacrifice, is, is dedicated to build the church, sacrificed to meet needs in your own church through giving and service, intimate with other Christians in the work, motivated by God's superabundant grace. If you want that kind of impactful heart, make the choice today. Say, Lord, give me that heart. Lord, change my heart to want what you want, to be focused on those things, not just to be day in and day out constantly distracted By my work, by my family, but to really have a taste in what you're doing. And number four, for the unbeliever, turn to Christ. You you can have a new heart if you turn from your way to God's way, from your words to God's word, from your terms to God's terms, which is to rely on Christ by faith, his death on the cross, for forgiveness of all your sins forever, and now. To follow your risen Savior. We follow Christ as our master king for all eternity. Only God can save you. You can't do it yourself. So you cry out to him. And ask him to change you. If you want him to forgive all your sin. Past, present, and future. Then cry out to him right now to give you a new heart. Because that's what changes everything. Do you know why some churches you've been to have been a great struggle? Do you know why? They were filled with non-Christians. People weren't saved. Do you know what makes FBC so special? There's a lot of saved people here. A lot. And they seek to live their faith out. It's true. It's not because of what we did. It's all because of what, what he did. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for 20 years of faithfulness. We pray, Father, that if you tarry, there'd be 20 more years. And Lord, that there would be a a sense of you being glorified, you being the focus, that you would be the treasured one, that all your work in our lives would get all the credit. And Father, we'll thank you for that and give you thanks for that. We pray, Father, that you might even work in the heart of anybody here who doesn't know you and, Father, that you would actually begin to draw them to yourself and we'll give you the glory for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.